Hello, this is Nikki Toyamasito, Executive Director for Christians for Social Action. On this episode of 20 Minute Takes, we speak with author, liturgist, Cole Arthur Riley. She is the executive content curator for the Instagram account, Black Liturgies, as well as the author of the new book, This Here Flesh. Come join us for a conversation on the power of liturgies in these trying times. Cole, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, I want to just um, say I have so appreciated uh, your voice and your space um, that you hold with Black Liturgies. For folks um, who maybe, if you've been on Instagram for a minute, you've probably come across the amazing work of Black Liturgies uh, that Cole has been curating and creating. Can you tell me a little bit about how that Instagram account got started and what it was you were trying to do? Sure. Um, I began Black Liturgies in June, the end of June, so really July of 2020, when you know the world was processing a lot of Black, um, the, a lot of murders of Black people at the hands of, of violent white people and police. And um, I'd been existing in white-dominated liturgical spaces for a while. Um, um, I've you know, worked at an Episcopal church and attended an Anglican church and um, have been really moved by liturgy and just the kind of um, the restfulness that I think liturgy offers when you don't have the words to pray. Um, But, you know, there are just seasons where it's so hard to pray words written by a white man. And, you know, that summer was certainly one of those seasons for me. and so I thought, you know, I let, I'm just going to start this thing. The name came before I actually knew what the idea was fully. Uh-huh. I was uh-huh. like, I just want to start this space called, or I just want to start this thing called Black Liturgies. And then my spouse was like, okay, what is it? <laughs> and, um, and it's I've a great name, been, but what is it? <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, let me think about that. And I've always, I've always been a writer. I've loved writing. And so it just made sense for me that that would be, you know, um, how I was going to connect with the divine, how I was going to connect with God. And, you know, I thought it would be this very intimate, small space. And um, here we are. Uh, it's grown quite a bit, which I'm I'm fine with. I'm, I'm grateful for, in fact. Yeah, no, I, I, I found it to be so, um, I feel like it's this intersection between prayer, poetry, and activism. And I think exactly like how you described when I find myself unable to like um, have words, even to know how to pray, the liturgies have been helpful. Um, what what does did you mean uh, to be in that space of kind of poetry and prayer and activism, or is that just this is just what came out from you? Was that intentional, or was it just an embodied expression? Yeah, I think it was. Um, in I think it was intentional. I think. You know, when I think of liturgy, I think of more than just, you know, the prayers of the people. I think of other components. I think of their songs sometimes in uh, liturgical forms and, and services. And um, I, I knew I wanted to find a way to bring in Black 
thought black kind of sacred artifacts into and, and connect that with um, written prayer. So, you know, it was never just going to be about the prayers I was writing, but I was trying to bring other voices, other um, black um, people and, and bodies into what I was doing. Um, and, and, and I, I love art. I love poetry and, and I love black literature. And, and that has totally been a way for me to connect and kind of revive my own spirituality. So I think it just made sense with who I am. That's amazing. What do you hope that black folks get out of black liturgies and what you're trying to do there? I, I really, I really just hope they find a, a space of belonging, um, a, a space of belonging that doesn't you know, demand that they believe any one thing, any, you know, particular doctrine or creed or a place of true, I think, spiritual liberation and creativity and um, curiosity and just uh, a space to breathe, really, you know, we're so, we're so much, you know, isn't being asked of you all of the time. Um, and also a, a, a kind of belonging that allows for your full you know, your full body and also your full emotional range, you know, black grief and black anger and black joy. Um, I want people to, black people to experience that kind of community. Wow. So just kind of a place where folks can show up and Mm -hmm. also the whole of who they are is welcome and embraced. I love that. Can you tell us a bit about how is your book different or the same? an extension of what you've been trying to do with the Instagram account, uh, your book, This Here Flesh. Yes. So you know, it's grounded. This Here Flesh is grounded in a lot of the things that Black Liturgies was founded on, a lot of these kind of broad concepts like dignity, lament, rage, rest, belonging. You know, these are the chapter titles of, of the book. But I think the the key difference is in the space of Black Liturgies, I try you know, I try pretty earnest, I I try as much as I can to not um, bring, center myself too much, you know, so I'm I'm a, I'm a bit reserved, you know, you're not going to see my face all the time on the Black Liturgies account, I try to do that in other spaces, and um, you're not always going to, you know, be experiencing liturgies about me. And and people have asked me, so many people, have, you know, asked me in my DMs, tell me more, we want to know more about you. And I've just kind of held that back. And this here flesh is, I think people are going to be really surprised. I just share so much about me and the people who have formed me. So the book is grounded in the stories of my father and my grandma and myself and, um, and how those stories kind of work within these broader kind of black liturgies concepts of dignity, lament, you know, those things. So it's a lot more of me. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I feel like the world could probably use a lot more of you. Can you, can you unpack for us one of those important relationships? Maybe can you talk a bit more about your relationship with your grandmother? Sure. Um, my grandma was just wonderful. Um, smooth talking. She was a poet. She was a writer. But because of, you know, the the privilege that she had, the way that her voice was um, neglected and not taken seriously when she was being raised, she didn't really have space to, you know, demonstrate her her craft in the way that I, I have the privilege of doing now. And so, um, yeah, it was really beautiful and difficult. Um, for me to watch her watch me, you know, live into this dream of being an author. Um, but she was so proud and felt this sense of 
real completion in her own calling, you know, coming through me, which I think is really beautiful. She, she actually um, passed away as I was editing the book. And so oh, wow. um, it's, it's been a weird season, this book. I'm so proud of it, but it's also become this um, just a season of grief, uh, an artifact of grief. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to, kind of balance the excitement and joys that come with being a first time author while, while knowing that so much of this book is, um, is her and I miss her. Yeah. On the release of the book, which comes out this month, what is it that you wish that you could say to her as you hand her, you know, the cover and the copy and. Yeah. I mean, I dreamed of the moment, you know, and I thought about more of what she would say than what I would say, because she, you know, I'm, I'm very quiet in my family. And, um, but, you know, I think I, I would just say that this is as much hers as mine, if not more that, you know, um, all of my words begin at the site of who she was as a woman and who she was as an artist. And I just wish more than anything, I could just see her face, like see her blush <laughs> holding it. Um, <laughs> and so I just try to visualize that for my own grief process, but, mm. um, Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I have goosebumps as you're sort of describing how your story and your words started with hers. I think one of the themes that you touch on, which I think is something that um, other communities don't have quite as good access, is uh, the gener- the way that generations hold stories. And um, I think in your book, you, you engage with what it means for um, healing and generational trauma and, and kind of how those things interact with us in this present moment and also how we're connected uh, to the stories and the people who went before us. Can you say a little bit more, I think particularly about um, uh, the healing process when we're talking about something that is generational? There's this um, this beautiful quote by Alice Walker that I'm sure many of your listeners would be familiar with, but she said how, um, how I'm paraphrasing how simple a thing it seems that to know ourselves as we are, we must know our mother's names. Um, Oh, it's such, so beautiful. I mean, it's beautifully written, but a beautiful sentiment as well. And I, I began with my grandmother, obviously, and, and, and her name. And I think there's something, um, a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I began interviewing um, the older people in my family and um, sometimes video recording them, sometimes just, you know, orally and um, trying to really preserve these stories that I've, I've heard sometimes or I've heard pieces of. And as I started doing it, especially with, you know, my father and, and my grandma, I realized so much overlap in our story, so much overlap in our, in our pain, but also, as you said, in um, in our survival, you know, in in how we've coped, in how we've um, persevered, and it's not this, you know, uh, intensely triumphant book. But I think there are there's a subtlety, I think, and um, a kind of gentle nature in the way that each of us has healed. That I think I learned from them without knowing I was learning. You know, when like it, some things I think only come to you in hindsight. In hindsight, I can see you were watching. You know, your grandma learn to 
you know, sleep in a bed again. You were watching your father, you know, learn to look himself in the mirror again. And it was these subtle kind of marks of healing that I think I inherited. Oh, that's amazing. If it's not too intrusive, um, what was your grandmother's name and what was your mother's name? My grandmother's name was Phyllis, Phyllis Marie, um, originally Phyllis Marie Grace. Uh, I wish she would have kept her last name. Then I could have uh-huh. been Cole Arthur Grace or Cole Grace Riley. I'm like, Grace, <laughs> um, her name was Phyllis. Oh, that name just has a weight to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it and does. my my mother's name, my, my birth mother's name is Kimberly. Kim. Mm. She goes by Kim. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I feel like. Yeah, to know our mother's names. That's powerful. Um, Can you say a little bit more about some of the practices? You just touched on that, about the dignity of your father looking himself in the eye and and, and the healing properties that that had. Can you say more about practices and, uh, and, and, yeah, can you say more about some of these practices, these embodied practices and sort of how they connect us to... um, to God or the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very interested in in spirituality and the body and and healing in the body. Um, and I think, you know, I try not to make these grand statements about our world because it's truly particular systems and people in our world. But hopefully, your listeners will give me grace. But I, I just think our world is not. Um, celebratory is not conducive to listening for to your body, to caring for your body. And so it takes a ritual. It takes real ritual action, real habitual action to resist that because the, um, the pressure to forget one's physical self is just so, um, so large, so looming, so, you know, ceaseless that you have to have these habitual rhythms. I think of listening and, you know, when I was little, that looked like my my father greasing my scalp, greasing me and my sister's scalp in the morning and doing our hairs. And now yes. that I'm older, that looks like, you know, um, stretching and silence and just telling the truth about what hurts in, in, mm. in my body. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, I love that. I, I do think there is a way, I mean, as you're describing it, that's me, a guilty as charged kind of a more living in my head or living in the world of ideas. And I think the listening to, um, what my body is saying that that is much more of a challenge. Um, but I appreciate those like specific practices that you have. Um, I've heard a lot of activists talk about um, public liturgy and I think usually they're describing it as um, different ways of using uh, maybe protest or sort of demonstration um, as an act of public liturgy. Uh, do you think of what it is that you do as public liturgy or or distinctive from that? And can you help us understand a bit of um, kind of this word liturgy and, and how these are sort of being used in these new ways? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's beautiful that people are describing their their work like that. And I think we are seeing this kind of opening in terms of what liturgy means. You know, typically I think people, the this vision of it meaning just solely prayers and in a collective and, and typically very old traditional prayers. Yeah. But I think there's something about, um, about our art, about our, our lives, about a kind of collective, um, not necessarily dailiness, but a collective rhythm 
that I think is most important when I think of the word liturgy is that there's some kind of connection to a collective. There's some time kind of connection to your interior world, your own interior world. But, um, but, but it doesn't necessarily need to look, you know, it's words for me because I love words, but I I don't think language is the only way. I don't think language is the most important thing. Um, even some writers are going to be very disappointed that I said (laughs) that, but you know, you know, I just, I just don't, I think everyone has their own tools of, you know, connecting with God, connecting with the spiritual. And and if you do that in a way that makes sense to you, I think that can become a, 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 a liturgy if that makes sense. I hear you introducing a few concepts that I just don't think of with liturgy. Um, you're talking about this, the connection to others that comes through the practice of the liturgy, as well as um, th- this daily or the regularity of the practice. Mm-hmm. I, 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 am I hearing that right? That those are kind of two of the essentials or sort of cores mm-hmm. to yeah. to liturgy? Yeah, I think um, at least in, in, in my own life, those those are core. Those are central that rhythm and, and that collective experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It, it also is unpacking for me a bit. One of the things I've appreciated is the way that you have, um, uh, as you've been curating Black liturgies, that you pull um, both from scripture as well as from quotes and from historical figures or even your own writing. There's an interwovenness of that. And so I think as you're unpacking both the daily practice or the regularity of it, but also this connectedness. I, I is that part of what that is in terms of drawing from these different voices and these is is that that expression yeah. of that connectedness? I think so. It would have been very difficult for me to you know just post my own words and be able to call it a a, a liturgy, um, or at least and and feel like I'm connecting to some sense of community or connecting to some sense of. A collective. So yeah, I think that's definitely part of it, incorporating other voices. How is it that you also, um, uh, you draw from traditions that are maybe outside of a, a, a Christian tradition, but we've found s- such amazing spiritual truth in those. Can you tell me a little bit about how you think about that or how you curate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't always, I don't think very intentionally about it, if I'm honest. I think um, it's usually just because of the things that I'm reading. And when I read something that moves me, um, I, it, it, it's, it's hard for me to keep it to myself. Um, and so, uh, I think, you know, the people in my life who recommend these books and, and recommend these things are, are really the, um, are really the, the gifts <laughs> of, of why I've, I've done what I've done. But I think, you know, as I've learned to be more free in my spirituality, I've learned that I don't need to be so tied to the Bible as, you know, this only form of revelation and beauty. I think it's everywhere. I'm not the first to say this. Many people before me uh, who I wish I have found, who I wish I'd found earlier <laughs> have said this in more ways than one that, you know, like the beauty of the divine is in, in everything. And I, I truly believe that. And I, I think it, can only bring me closer to God if I'm trying to really, you know, really apprehend that beauty in kind of unexpected places. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, We've been speaking with Cole author Riley. She is the executive curator of Black Liturgies, as well as the author of the newly released book, 
this here flesh. Cole, thank you so much for holding space for so many of us in these difficult and trying times. Uh, your words have been um, such a ministry, I think, to many of us. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. Our music was created by Andre Henry, and our show is produced by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and if you want to find out more about our work, visit the website at ChristiansForSocialAction.org. Thank you.